When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a rivalry, so you would expect there would be a little bit of animosity and hostility. Pelosi on the slam. Touchdown! They are slight crisis mode. What's got to be fixed? Uh, I'm going to address all of it. We started the night off with pyrotechnics, all the fireworks, but Colorado State maintained its poise. Downfield. Got him in! Touchdown! That'll do it for regulation. Got it! Touchdown, Harrison! The Buffaloes need one last stop. In a crowd! No good! Buffaloes win it! What a thriller it was this weekend in Colorado. We're coming out the tunnel on College Football Live with an update on Colorado's two-way star, Travis Hunter. You'll hear from him and his head coach, New Sound, coming up in just moments. Then, it was a sleepwalk of a Saturday for some top ten teams this weekend. Hear what their coaches are saying about how they're moving on from the slow starts and some of the near losses we almost saw in week three. And the quarterback carousel, it continues to spin in Tuscaloosa. Hear why Nick Saban and Alabama are returning to their week one starter. The pressure on maybe at Alabama? Not so much in Colorado. Well, I'm a Sanders. You know, I don't feel pressure. That's the thing. It's in my blood. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get nervous. I don't get none of that. I think it's safe to say he thrives under pressure after what we saw this weekend. Welcome into College Football Live. Greg McElroy, Desmond Howard, Pete Thamel with me throughout the show. And, guys, let's start with the biggest story right now from this weekend, and that is an injury update on Colorado two-way star Travis Hunter. The wide receiver and defensive back was taken to the hospital after a hit he suffered in the first quarter of the win over Colorado State. Travis Hunter addressed the injury last night on his YouTube, and Deion Sanders just spoke to the media. It's new on College Football Live. It's football though at the end of the day, stuff like that's gonna happen. So I just stay humble. I mean, hey, he did what he was supposed to do. It's football. Something bad's gonna happen on the field sooner or later. We just gotta get up and fight again. That's what I try to do. Get up and fight. Good thing the doctors stopped me because if there was no doctors there, I would have still been out there playing. But I'm thankful for everybody that helped me that day. And yeah, you're working on your speedy recovery. Um, the plan at corner is uh, cornerback committee. Um, we, that's why we practice. We're going to see who steps up and what's, takes what's, over that role. But there's no one in the country could fill Travis um, Hunter's shoes. You got to understand he's a unique player. He's one of a kind. He's uh, the best player on offense, the best player on defense. That's just who he is in the country, not just on his team. So having guys step up, they just got to step up and do the job that we're asking them to do. All right, Pete, so first and foremost, I thought I couldn't be a bigger Travis Hunter fan, and then he comes out in a giraffe costume streaming updates live <laughs> on what happened this weekend. So what can you tell us about the timetable on when we should expect to see him playing college football again? Yeah, Kelsey, uh, if, if you look ahead at the approximately three-week timetable that Colorado has stated for Travis Hunter's return, uh, a reasonable expectation would either be the game at Arizona State on October 7th or the following week, which is a short week 
at home against Stanford. Uh, remember, Kelsey, Travis Hunter is going to have to build back up to play the amount of snaps he played. He played 149 snaps in their first game. He is a rare, as Dion said, unique two-way player. They only actually had him practicing two days a week to give him rest because he was playing so many snaps. So how they integrate him, do they integrate him on both sides of the ball? And, and when he actually comes through in October are questions we're going to answer in the weeks, uh, upcoming weeks as he recovers. He means so much to this football team, but as you heard him say, good that they had the medical staff there to make sure they're looking out for his best interest. Pete, the unfortunate side of this is the other side of it, and that is, of course, Henry Blackburn, who did place that hit on him. Now, you have reported that there have been death threats to him, to his family throughout the time since that first happened. Before I get your thoughts on it, I want to hear what Deion Sanders had to say about it. Take a listen. He does not deserve a death threat over a game. At the end of the day, this is a game. Someone must win, someone must lose. Everybody continues their life the next day. That kid was just playing the best of his ability, and he made a mistake. So I forgive him, see you. Um, our team forgive him. Um, Travis, is he's forgiven him. Let's move on. But that kid does not deserve that. Pete, this is the unfortunate side of social media is that people take things too far oftentimes. What can you tell us about what you've learned about the situation in, in the Blackburn family? Yeah, really strong sentiment there by, uh, by Deion Sanders that I know will be appreciated in Fort Collins. Uh, the Colorado State University police and local authorities both reacted to all the death threats that were given to both uh, Henry Blackburn and his mother. Their cell phones were published on the Internet before the game even ended, and they were inundated with threats, Kelsey. So local police have engaged in that. And I've also been told uh, within the last hour that Henry Blackburn has started the process of reaching out to apologize to Travis Hunter for the hit on the field. All right, Pete, we appreciate it. We'll have more with you in just a moment, but let's get back into what happens without the two-way star, Travis Hunter, because it's a huge loss not having him. He ranks third in receiving yards while recording nine tackles and two pass breakups against TCU. He became the first FBS player since 2002 with 100 receiving yards and an interception in a game. So, Greg and Des, back with me now. And, and Des, I want to start with you. How big of an impact is this for Colorado? Uh, Kelsey, it's a huge impact. I mean, because um, it wasn't uh, overstated by Coach Prime when he said that Travis Hunter is the best player on offense and the best player on defense um, in the country. And I feel just like robbed as a fan that I won't get a chance to see him play um, against Oregon on the road, against USC, because I want to see him match up against their best receivers, right? And I want to see their best DBs match up against Travis Hunter. And so you always want to see both teams at their strength. You know, both teams as strong as they can be when, when they meet each other. And we're, we're robbed of that opportunity because of that, that um, personal foul that Travis Hunter sustained in the game against Colorado State. But, yeah, it was, he wasn't overstated when he said that Travis Hunter is a unicorn. He's a very unique type of athlete, football player, however you want to phrase it. And to have him... Um, not going to be available for these games for the next three weeks is, uh, is a big loss to, uh, to Colorado, Greg. It is, and I, I think that what's unfortunate is he's one of those guys that, that you see on defense in particular, uh, a Darrell Revis, where you have Revis Island, right? Like We're not throwing to that guy. Like No matter what, hey, boys, our number one receiver is a non-factor this week. 
So numbers two, three, and four, you got to step up because this guy is going to have a tough time getting going. He can take away one side of the field, which means your other 10 defenders can be shifted towards the other 10 offensive players. That's going to be a huge benefit to every defense to know that one guy can be eliminated from the plan completely. But I actually think with where this game is going and where Colorado wants the game to go, I think Colorado wants to win track meets. They, they don't want to win grinded out defensive showdowns. They want to win games that are decided where teams are scoring in the mid to upper 40s. If the games are decided in the mid to upper 40s, they're in really good shape. So missing his presence offensively, even though they have elite wide receivers to be able to fill that void, that's where it might actually be felt a little bit more as far as the win-loss column because I think they want to make it a track meet as often as they can. We certainly wish him well over the next three weeks as he tries to get healthy. The good news for Colorado is while they won't have him, they do still have their quarterback, Shador Sanders. Check this out. In the game this weekend, Colorado held less than a 1% chance of winning when it took over for the last possession of regulation Saturday night, according to ESPN Analytics. You can see that was with about two minutes left in the game. But you heard Shador at the top of the show. He doesn't feel any pressure. The Buffs overclaimed those odds, and they prevailed, of course, in over time. So, Des, a lot of good that we saw from Shador and company in those final two minutes in overtime, but what was the most impressive part of that win? I think the most impressive part was the 98-yard drive um, by Shador and the uh, Colorado's offense to tie the game. I mean, you're talking about less than two minutes or maybe two minutes left, whatever the case may have been, but going 98 yards the length of the field and knowing that everything is on the line and People don't give this, this one fact enough attention that this is Deion Sanders' son. So now you have this game riding on your shoulders with all the weight of trying to pull this out, not only for your team and for your head coach, but for your dad, who was, you know, heavily scrutinized by the opposition's head coach. So there's just so much that went into that drive when you think about what Shador Sanders had on his shoulders to pull that drive through. So... 98 yards, and like he told um, the media afterwards, he went into Tom Brady mode, and, <laughs> which makes sense because Tom Brady is one of his uh, mentors, and uh, I bet you Tom was very proud of Shadur for that 98-yard drive. I was going to say, it helps when you have a mentor like that because he has learned from the very best. Take a look at this. This is interesting. After the win, even though they're undefeated, Colorado, a 21-point underdog on the road at number 10 Oregon per, per Caesar Sportsbook. Earlier this season, Buffaloes, of course, took down TCU. That was when they were 21-point dogs in that game again. So we're going to learn a lot about them in this game, but also – the week after that, they've got number five, USC. You mentioned earlier, Des, just kind of not getting to see Travis Hunter in those two games. But, Greg, I want to come to you for this because these are two massive weeks for this team where you really get to see how they stack up. So what's success look like for them over the next two weeks? I mean, if they can pull off wins in the next two weeks, they go from being a great story to a great football team. It's as simple as that. I mean, right now, I think that they're really more of a story. It's been a remarkable performance, obviously, against both Nebraska and against Colorado State. Somehow finding their way back, playing as well as they did against TCU in week one. Amazing. If you go beat Oregon in their house or you go beat SC, we're talking about beating two of the proudest programs in the entire Pac-12 and doing it overnight. I do think it's going to be important for Colorado, though, as they ramp things up as far as their level of competition, they got to be better up front, both offensively and defensively. Oregon can pound it, and Oregon can get after the passer. They've given up a lot of pressures. Shador Sanders is like superhuman back there for sure. He's amazing. 
but he can't do it himself. So the offensive line's got to play at a level way beyond what we've seen up to this point if they're going to pull off an upset. He's definitely going to need some help and protection up front against the two teams that they have coming next week. He's such a key part of their success on the other side of things. If you look at what Alabama has been going through, still trying to figure out this quarterback carousel that we have seen so far. Jalen Milrow started the first two games, was benched last week. Then it was Tyler Buckner and Ty Simpson who struggled. Now Nick Saban is making another move. You know, from a quarterback standpoint, this is all I'm going to say about this. You know, Jalen really showed the leadership that I was looking for, you know, during the game in terms of supporting his teammates and doing the things he needed to do. Um, he's had the opportunity to play, so has the other guys. Jalen played the best uh, of all those guys, and uh, so I think he's earned the opportunity to be the quarterback. Okay, so that was Coach Saban's thoughts on what he has seen so far. Here's the numbers on what you've seen so far. Most notably, Tyler Buckner, Ty Simpson combined to go 10 of 23 for 100 in passing yards. No passing touchdowns in the narrow win over South Florida on Saturday. So, Greg, you know this program, Coach Saban, the quarterback position so well. Are you concerned at all with what we've seen in this quarterback carousel and now going back to Jalen Milrow, who had essentially been benched? Yeah, I mean, I'm a little concerned. <laughs> I think if you look at, at just how well they've played, I mean, they've, they've had some good moments. I mean, Jalen Milrose had good moments, but he's also had moments that you'd like to forget. But at the same time, I mean, I look at where they're at just as an entire team, and really let's just exclusively look at the offense for a moment. Their quarterback position is not their biggest problem. Their biggest problem is that the strength of the team has been throughout the offseason the offensive line, and they're just not playing very well. They've had a difficult time moving people in the run game. They've had a really difficult time protecting whoever's behind them at the quarterback spot. So until they get that group solidified, you have to have an option that can keep you honest with his legs because the drop back passing attack doesn't look like something they can take advantage of right now. Jalen Milrow gives this team the best chance to win right now. Until that offensive line starts playing at a really high level in pass protection, I think they're just going to run the heck out of the football, Des, and I think Jalen Milrow gives him a real dynamic weapon at that spot to be able to potentially take advantage of it. Yeah, well, the quarterback situation down in Tuscaloosa is very bleak at this point. I mean, it was written all over Coach Saban's face. Obviously, Greg played for Coach Saban. I've known Coach Saban since I was in high school. He was actually on the staff at Michigan State. He used to drive down from East Lansing to recruit me in Cleveland, Ohio. So I'm kind of used to his mannerisms, and I tell you what, it looked very bleak when he did that press conference. Now, I do think that Jalen would probably give them the better chance to win, but he's going to have to learn to operate in the pocket. And I know that the, you know, the, the, the offensive line, they, they haven't been great. I understand. But they've given him enough time at, at moments that he can be able, that he should have been able to complete passes. And I think that his timing isn't, isn't on sometimes. Now, that's what he does the best. He throws the deep ball extremely well. And everybody rants and raves about the deep ball. But, Greg, you know, like I do, you're not throwing the deep ball a lot in the college football game. You have to master those other throws, too, even the quick throws. I think that they have enough talent 
that if they can get the ball out of his hands quickly into the hands of the playmakers, then they'll be able to move the ball and sustain drives and they eventually score touchdowns. Top 15 matchup, SEC matchup with Ole Miss coming your way this week, and we'll see how Jalen Milrow responds after not seeing him last week. Now take a look at this week's college football rankings brought to you by Prudential. Georgia, the only SEC team in the AP Top 10 this week. This is the first time since September 17th of 2017 that the conference has had just one team in the AP Top 10. Coming up next on College Football Live, Michigan State has begun the process to move on from Mel Tucker as their head coach. Pete Thamel back with us on the latest on what's next for the Spartans. Welcome back into College Football Live. We're continuing to follow the story out of Michigan State. The Spartans announced yesterday they intend to fire head coach Mel Tucker without compensation due to sexual harassment claims against the coach made by noted sexual assault advocate Brenda Tracy. Tucker is in the middle of a second year of a 10-year, $95 million contract that was signed in 2021. You're taking a look at a statement made by Mel Tucker today. This is part of the statement. He says, let's be clear. I don't believe Michigan State plans to fire me because I admitted to an entirely consensual private relationship with another adult who gave one presentation at Michigan State University over two years ago. Yet only after Ms. Tracy and potentially others leaked the confidential investigation report to the press did Michigan State suddenly decide this same information warrants termination. I want to bring back in Pete Thamel. Obviously, this is an ongoing situation and a legal battle between the school and Mel Tucker. But what more can you tell us about what's next for Michigan State and Mel Tucker? Kelsey, the, the core of this moving forward for Michigan State and Mel Tucker is the $79 million he's owed on the remainder of that contract you mentioned before. Uh, we've had dueling letters and statements in the last two days. Yesterday, Michigan State Athletic Director Alan Haller said there's a, quote, body of undisputed evidence, end quote, to fire Tucker for cause. Uh, Tucker's letter today shot back at that notion. There was a lot of uh, loaded rhetoric in that, Kelsey. Uh, he called it a miscarriage of justice. He called... Uh, Tracy's complaint baseless and really pushed back hard at the notion that he deserved to be fired for cause. Uh, there's, a, there's a hint here that there will be lawyers further involved. Tucker says, quote, one day uh, he looks forward to, quote, obtaining discovery against Michigan State, including the trustees and the athletic department, end quote. So that would seem to be, a, a, you know, a breadcrumb left that Mel Tucker and, and his lawyers will fight for the $79 million that remains on his contract moving forward. All right, Pete, we appreciate the insight. Know you will continue to follow that story and bring us any updates out of Michigan State as they look to figure out what is next. So to come on College Football Live, we are taking a look at some of the best moments from week three as we get you ready for week four. Plus, some of the teams this weekend looked like they were sleepwalking through week three. Hear what our guys had to say about the slow starts. Going to be another good one from the University of Notre Dame. A big top 10 matchup between Ohio State and Notre Dame this weekend in college game day. We'll be with you starting at 9 a.m. Nodez is looking forward to that and looking forward to what we have coming up 
this weekend on ESPN and ABC Family of Networks. Saturday at noon, it is a big matchup in the ACC between Florida State unbeaten and Clemson, who, of course, suffered that loss in the first game of the season. And then Colorado and Oregon in a top 20 matchup, 330 on ABC. Those are some big games this weekend. Here's what some of the big teams from this weekend in the top 10 did. They kind of look like they slept walk a little bit through 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 week three. Georgia trailed South Carolina at the half. They came back and won 24-14. Florida State and Boston College, that was a nail-biter right down to the very end. A two-point win for Florida State. They dropped down one in the AP poll. And then Texas and Wyoming, that offense took a little while for Quinn Ewers and company to get going in the fourth quarter and really seal the deal on that one. So, Greg, what was your big takeaway from some of these slow starts that we saw in week three? I see it's widespread. I mean, it really is kind of all over the place. I mean, you can even point to a situation with Memphis, who was a heavy favorite against Navy, and they hang on by the, by the you know, hair of their chinny-chin-chin, and they have Missouri next week. So I think the look-ahead scenario and maybe the hangover effect of having a, played a big game the week before is really affecting teams more than ever because of the access to information that the players have. They read their press clippings and they probably respond a little too high with the high, a little too low with the low. So these uneven performances, I think, are something that's not going away anytime soon. But, Greg, that's the best situation for a head coach because now he gets his players' attention. You just squeaked by in this game. We're going to watch this bad film, and now he can get on them after a win to try to refocus them for the rest of the season. So this is the perfect time for any of those three teams to be sleepwalking. That's a good point, and you mentioned bad film. Let me give you some really good film because as we put a bow on week three, let's take a look at not one but two big men touchdown. That's right. Thank you, week three, for giving us this. Joshua Gray <laughs> from Oregon State and Byron Murphy, who you just see there from Texas. Des, I hear you. Who's better? Which one do we like? I like the – oh, no, that one is sweet. I mean, when yeah. the guy gets to just literally walk in, I mean, that's the absolute best. I bet you I bet you, Greg gets very excited when he can reward the offensive lineman with a touchdown. Right, Greg? <laughs> oh, 100%. I, I mean, the offensive lineman scoring and a design play like this, we actually had this exact play in the Independence Bowl in 2007, <laughs> Andre Smith. Scored a touchdown, so I'm yeah. glad that it hasn't fallen out of favor, even though the offense has changed an awful lot. <laughs> I love it. Nothing quite like it when you get to see that. A great, uh, That's great. the best. That's uh, the best. It, it really is. It really is. You see it a lot in spring games, but then when you actually get to see it in the regular season, always worth an extra run back here on College Football Live. we got to turn the page tomorrow here. Same time, same place. we got a lot of top 25 matchups coming your way this weekend. Cannot wait to dive into some of those. Just mentioned College Game Day, of course, going to be with Notre Dame and Ohio State. We'll dive into that a little bit more on College Football Live. We'll see you back here at 2 o'clock tomorrow.